So I'm interested in how running or being an athlete, right? I, I don't think either of us are really athletes, right? We work out, we do physical things, but we're not athletes. And so I'm interested in how that world of, of working out and being an athlete has relayed into business for you. And when did you kind of start making that, that plot? Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a couple of things, really. I get, for me, first and foremost, it's about discipline. Um, do you have the ability to generate some sort of plan? And then are you able to stick to that plan, execute that plan and see it through to completion? That That's really how it is for me. And then I guess when I first started to, uh, to make that connection between the two, like you, I have many, many people that ask me uh, if I would help them with their business. And whether if it was running incubators or with Start Peninsula, whatever the case is, a lot of people approach me and ask me to, to help them start their business. So I would ask them, one, you know, what is the what, what's the biggest thing that you've ever accomplished? Uh, and, I, and then I listen. The other part, though, is like, hey, have you ever done a 5K? Have you ever done, you know, some sort of running race? And I'm just curious, you know, what they're what they're answer to that is so many, so many folks be like, Oh, I could never do it. And it's just like, well, that that's spread like red flag, number one. Right. Um, but then uh, yeah, the yeah, I mean, I, you, you'd be surprised or like whenever I have a conversation, be like, Oh yeah, I just, I, yeah, I ran or I'm in training for a marathon or I just ran, uh, you know, whatever. And people are like, Oh man, I could never do that. And it's just like, well, I'll store that in the back of my head. Um, in terms of, do you have what it takes to, uh, to grind through and see something through to, to the finish. So yeah, those were the, those are the big things for me, man. And uh, more and more it continues to hold true all the time. I remember, I remember one time you told me something like, Oh yeah, most people when they uh, are starting in you know, their fitness journey of like running or other things, they don't start with Ironmans or marathons. They start with like the lower stuff and I did the complete opposite. And then I was trying to do like the lower end stuff. And so that was, that was an interesting. Well, the thing is, man. Yeah. I mean, with that, it's just, you know, it's one of those deals. You, you gotta, you gotta finish that first workout and want more. You can't, uh, you can't do your first workout and then you're so sore. You can't even get out of bed or get up off the chair the next day that you're never going to go back out again. But yeah, actually, uh, someone started working out recently and they asked me for like some advice or something. I was like, whatever you think you're going to do, do a quarter of it. Yeah. Just knowing just so that they make sure that they go back the next day. Right. Because if they like even in business, like if you go like you're we're so like gung ho on like just 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 we're, we're so aggressively passionate at that moment. But I don't think you've really I don't know what that's called, but like, I don't think that's discipline at that point. You haven't instilled that in your mind. You haven't figured that aspect out. You're just really excited about insert whatever that thing is. And so if right. you, you have to build up, I don't know, a callus of, of that aspect of it. And so I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. One of the cool Having things is that we commented before we hit record on this is that we've had several athletes several professional athletes on the show and it, and you know, and we're joined by another one today. So it was almost a year ago that, um, that we had, uh, uh, scratch on mm -hmm. Alan Lim. And, yeah. And that was a, that was a great episode. That was like, talk about blowing me away in like the first five minutes, but I'd be curious. <laughs> Dude, created, I don't know how big of a business basically out of a paint shop, which has nothing to do with his business, by the way, which is completely ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Greg? What's your take? Welcome to the show. Thank you. No, it's a pleasure to be here, Tim, Zach. Um, love the show. I just saw you guys hit 100 episodes, which I think is pretty impressive um, from that standpoint. Um, but, you know, I think we're all mental athletes at the end of the day. Uh, whether We bring it into business. We bring it into life. You know, I saw that a lot as a, as a baseball player. You know, the folks that focused on the mental side of the game, a lot of times those were the individuals that were able to persevere um, to that next level. You know, your body can only take so much and your mind has to take over at some point. Um, so I think it becomes fascinating from that standpoint. Um, you know, Tim, you mentioned it. You know, people come to you as a coach, um, as a mentor, as a leader, you know, ask you questions to help them get to the next level. Um, and I think that 
that makes you a, a mentally fit and you've, you've had failures in your life that you've learned from and you convey those to folks who are potentially going through it or going to go through it. Um, and it makes them you know, much better off at the end of the day. And that's something I always valued as an athlete. And, and I try to bring that into the business world today, um, leading a team um, over here at Valor Cybersecurity and um, be able to take lessons from other folks out in the community, you know, like yourselves and, you know, in, in intertwine it into our business to make us a little bit better off and, you know, mentally, physically, um, all, all the above. So looking forward to diving in here. Thanks for the opportunity to be on. I don't know. This is almost episode one. I don't even know. Episode 140, 140-something. Oh, really? yeah. okay. Who knows? But I swear, like, we should go back and look at this on episode one, three. And now I lost my train of thought, so it doesn't even matter. But yeah, I, um, you go. While you're, while, you're, while you're trying to recapture that, Greg, <laughs> what, what position did you play uh, where you, did you play in baseball? Yeah, so growing up, I was a, a pitcher, and then I played um, first and uh, third base, which is what we call the hot corner. Um, most of the time, those are the people that protect the pitcher. So I wanted to protect the pitcher when I was not pitching, um, because you only pitch about one day a week. Um, but as I as I elevated through the different levels at Old Dominion and then played in the minor leagues uh, for a couple of years, they stuck me just on the pitcher's mound. So this is what you're going to be good at. And I think one of the lessons I took away from that was you can't spread yourself too thin to try to be good at everything. You got to kind of know your strengths um, from that standpoint. And um, I always tried to use that lesson as a way to you know, improve my game as a pitcher, um, obviously leading a company now. You know, I try to make sure that the folks on my team are self, self-aware, self-conscious of what they're good at, um, what I'm good at, and how we can kind of meet in the middle to build the best company possible from that standpoint. So I always like to say it's kind of the loneliest place on the baseball field because you're holding a ball and everybody in the stands and on the field are waiting for you to throw it. Um, so it's kind of they're, they're all staring at you, you know, waiting for you to do something. When you're not doing something, they get bored potentially, which that's why a lot of people don't like baseball because it's kind of a, a slower game. Well, well, to Zach's point in, in terms of uh, how does you develop your mental toughness? You know, you don't have the right stuff. You're just not on your A game. Maybe you just walked a batter. You know, where do you get that mental toughness from? Is it, is it just callousing, you know, your brain and believing in yourself or walk us through that? I, I, yeah. I think it all started, um, it, it all starts kind of in our childhood. So both my parents were Navy. Um, it was a very kind of, you know, not necessarily strict, but, you know, you had your principles and you were, you know, die hard on those principles and, um, you know, loyal, um, as loyal as you could be. You know, I think it's definitely a little bit of callous. Um, but, you know, early on, I had an older brother that played baseball as well. So early on, I recognized that, you know, Every day, your body is a little bit different, you know, based on how you sleep, you know, maybe your head's twisted one way and you're, you know, laying the other way. If you don't sleep exactly the same every night, your body's going to feel a little bit different. So your mind has to kind of be able to know, you know, where you're tight, where you're loose to kind of adapt, to be able to throw a baseball to a you know, small kind of centimeter target. Um, so, you know, just kind of being self-aware you know, knowing what you're good at. And then when you're in the moment, you have to be able to work through and make rapid adjustments um, in real time. And I think that's something that's relevant um, for all of our businesses at the end of the day is, you know, we all set out on this big, big goal, big dream um, to build a great business. And it's, it's never perfect. Um, I haven't met anybody that, you know, built a business and it went exactly how they plotted it out to be um, from that standpoint. So I think it's, I think it's a little bit of, um, you know, trial by fire, um, adjusting in the moment. Absolutely. And then, um, you know, being able to have folks around you who can say, you know, you're doing this right, you're doing that wrong. Um, you know, a lot of times, I think in leadership specifically, and this is relevant in athletics, is a lot of times we don't, we're the one that doesn't see the wrong thing that we're doing and other people may be able to see it uh, quicker than we can realize it. Um, so I think leaning on, leaning on teammates, uh, leaning on people in the community, I think helps us all at the end of the day. From uh, sticking with the sports aspect of it, we'll get into the legit business stuff at some point. But I, I, th- I, th- no, I, love I it. think 
No, not I think. I know for a fact that I, I think you guys will all uh, agree with this. There's just so many parallels between business and fitness, business and sports and things like that. It's instilled in you. Uh, in business, we talk a lot about the word failure. I hate the word failure because you're really probably not hitting rock bottom, which to me is what failure means. But as a pitcher or as as a kid growing up or trying to make uh, it to a baseball team or any sporting aspect, when it, when it doesn't go good, how do you recover from that? What do you do to do that? Because that exact same thing is going to happen on the business side of it now at Valor, right? Maybe it happened this morning. And then the positive thing is you get on this call with us. And then after that, you get, have another positive, then hopefully no other negatives. But when the negative things hit, how do you get through them? Is there anything from a sports perspective that you look back on that was instilled in you? Kind of run me through that. Yeah, so... I was always told from a young age um, and I had people tell me multiple times, you know, you're not going to make it, you know, you're going to get hurt. You know, kind of the, the, the people that doubt you, I think that's a driving force. Um, I always looked at it as if you're not failing, then you're not trying hard enough and you're not pushing yourself um, hard enough to get better. Um, so that was always one of the things that drove me when I would fail is if I don't take a lesson from this, then I basically went through that experience um, for no reason. Um, so I think that's one of the, the forcing functions for me is I knew that when I was failing, I was actually growing to some extent or becoming a better player. Um, I also think it's a little bit of, you know, they call it like athlete insanity, which, you know, we can bring into the business world, but you kind of have to be in the business world. Um, you know, you have to have a kind of a short memory, but be able to you know, look long-term and recognize those lessons to be able to use them from that standpoint. So I think it's a little bit of having the hard nose. I know the mission I'm on. I know where I'm trying to get. This failure is just a step in that process and not let it bring me down, but actually elevate kind of where we're at. And um, from the business side, I mean, we, you know, we fail every day, right? People tell us no, you know, seven, eight, nine times out of 10, you know, I think in baseball, it was if you hit, if you hit, got to hit three out of 10 times, you're a Hall of Famer. That's what they right. kept. That's what they always told us. So when I would pitch, you know, if, if I had a good outing, you know, one out of every two or three times, you know, that was kind of like a pat on the back for a lot of people. But obviously, in, internally, you're like, why did I have those two bad outings? You know, this, this, this sucks. This is terrible. You know, I, I'm not a good player. And if you get in that hurricane of thought, you know, it, it brings you down and doesn't allow you to actually learn from the lessons. So that's just a couple of things I've noticed, um, both on the baseball and the business side. Yeah, that's always, uh, yeah, I'd like, I would love to to get into the mind of like, a, of a relief pitcher. I mean, a, a, of all pitchers, man. I mean, it's just like, you're either hero or zero. And yeah. like, talk about having a short memory. I mean, you uh, blow a safe, man, and you know, you got to mm -hmm. potentially get back out there the very next day and all eyes are on you. And you you got to perform. Who's yeah. the trumpet guy for the Mets? We need that as our entrance song. Like, let's, let's get, like yeah. Timmy Trumpets or something. Like let's go. Mm -hmm. Let's get that going. <laughs> yeah, the closer. Yeah, yeah. I think all that all that music, all this, all that stuff helps. Though it helps kind of you know when you're getting into that situation. You know, you're going into a presentation. It kind of you know snaps you into the you know live in the moment. You know, be where your feet are. All those kind of all those kind of good things that you need when you're performing. Um, if you're thinking about the past or you're too far into how you're going to improve after the fact, you know, it makes it so that that performance, you're not bringing your full self to it. And, um, you know, relief pitchers have to have a short fuse because a lot of times when you fail, the coach throws you out there the next day to try to kind of wipe the slate clean. Um, and I, I try to bring that to my team at Valor, you know, when we have bad days, and, you know, things are on fire and, you know, kind of trying to hit the reset button in some way, whether that's, you know, going, going for a walk or, you know, finding ways to kind of take the lessons, but then kind of forget about the failure so you can push forward um, from that standpoint. One of the things that you brought up was, uh, was insanity or whatever. And that's one thing that's really interesting about founders. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was like founders, there needs to be a little bit of insanity, not too much. And it's like, there's like that super fine line of how crazy can a founder be? They got to be crazy enough to know that they can change the world, but they can't be so crazy. They're like, they, they have to be able to 
manage the situation and, and not mm -hmm. run something in, into the ground. Um, it's just, I think it's really funny when, when people will behind the scenes, like if it's an investor briefing or, or you hear a pitch where you're like, I don't know, man, that dude's crazy. And it's like, well, you, that's not all, that's not all bad. Um, yeah. <laughs> Might just be crazy enough, right? That's, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you're living the world of, I know we've talked about it. It's changed, but it hasn't really like growing up, you know, we were told this is the life that you live. You go work for right. a man. It works this way. Now, maybe there's this option where you do it yourself. I still think we're very much in the go because I, I, I mean, you talked about doubters, Greg. I can think about teachers telling you you're not going to be an athlete. You're not going to make it. So this is why you have to do that. We're still going to continue to be like that. They don't tell you to really be an entrepreneur. Heck, I mean, I remember. Uh, you, you know, you got ODU right behind you. You're, you're an ODU alum and, and, and all that. I was on one of the first Strom visits at Babson College. And I remember I was talking to, I don't remember who it was. It was, it was one of the you know top four or five people there. And I was like, so what are you guys planning on doing when your students are doing so well in their business that you've told them to do when they're sophomores and they leave the school? to pursue that business. And their response was something along the lines of, well, we're hoping that doesn't happen. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, but, but that's what you, that, that's what you say you want these people to do. So are you really setting them up for that? And I get what they're saying. Obviously they want them to graduate so they can be proud alumni and yada, yada, yada. But it's kind of like, if things are going well, are you going to keep doing that and going to school? Or are you going to put all your eggs into that basket of the business? And so it, it, it's kind of interesting. So, so what is the, well, you can, is there anything about ODU that, I mean, cause I, I feel like Valerie kind of came out of ODU. Like what's the inspiration of how ODU helped you the whole Valor story? Give us the elevator. Yeah. So, yeah, so I actually, uh, freshman year, I almost failed out of ODU. I was, I was there, there to go. play baseball. I was, I was terrible at school. Um, or I wasn't focused enough on it. And um, I ended up actually going away for a year to a school in Florida to try to get drafted because I was doing really well on the baseball field, but I knew that I wasn't good at school. Um, that was kind of one of the things that was, you know, bringing me down mentally because I was, I just wasn't doing good. And I felt like I didn't have the time and I, I didn't have the balance at all. Um, so I went away for a year, had a coach at this school in Florida um, that was kind of, kind of brought me back to my roots. He was kind of like a military general. He basically said, you know, school's number one. You need to you know, wear a collar shirt to school. And um, if you don't do what you, what you need to do in the classroom, you're not, you're not going to play on the field. Um, so it kind of put things into perspective a little bit. Um, so I went back to ODU. Um, the coach brought me back in. You know, that was a huge um, step in my journey um, to, to where I got today. Um, the entrepreneurship school was a big, big reason um, why I decided to come back. It was, it was um, ramping up at that time. Uh, Mark Strom and his family um, donated some money and um, they wanted to build kind of an entrepreneurial ecosystem. From a young age, I always tried to create value for people, whether it was you know, helping people in my neighborhood for an, you know, an exchange of, of dollars to be able to go you know, get a snack or go to a movie. Um, just trying to find ways to, to benefit the community and um, find ways to to kind of create a win-win there. So, um, you know, kind of absorb what was going on in that environment. Um, put the put my first business, which was called Helpers for Hire, I was basically taking that neighborhood concept and um, recruiting high schoolers to kind of help in their neighborhoods, um, give them some resources to be able to do it. Um, and what I saw was that a lot of the students in the entrepreneurial center, those initial kind of core set of businesses couldn't afford websites and apps from, you know, the small businesses in the area. It was, it was expensive. It was, you know, 10 to 20 grand. Uh, I don't know any college student that can afford that, you know, while they're dumping into tuition and things of that nature um, while their business ramped up. So I said, you know, how can I take this helpers for hire concept and kind of think about how I can help folks on this uh, campus in the community kind of enable them to be able to, um, developed the technology they needed for their business concept. You know, everybody needs a website or an app nowadays to be able to put themselves out there and their best foot forward. 
So I went to the computer science um, school over at ODU. Uh, a lot of the folks were extremely technical. They didn't really want to talk about business, um, but they, they loved developing things, writing code and um, you know, developing user interfaces, things of that nature. So I got a core set of like five folks at the beginning. We ended up scaling to, I think, 10 from ODU um, and then a couple of folks who were graduated um, to be able to serve these students. And we, we ended up serving folks outside of the school as well. Um, but I had a lot of great mentors. You know, Jim Lant was one of those um, who kind of just was very honest with me when it came to business and kind of instilled some core principles in me, which I still use today. Um, Nancy Gurdon, you know, folks like that were instrumental um, in my growth journey as somebody who went from baseball player put in a box um, of, you know, you're a baseball player, you're a jock, and that's all you do well. Um, I proved them right when I was a freshman. But when I came back as a junior and senior, I had a different perspective and um, was kind of, you know, clawing my way back to be, you know, someone who was more personal growth oriented. And I knew that education was a big piece of that um, to get me where I wanted to be. I think I ended up, you know, as a senior, you know, bringing my GPA from what it was like a 2.0, uh, 1.9 when I left as a freshman. I think I brought it back up to like a low three which was big for me at the time because I went from what I looked at as failure to somebody who was, um, you know, performing in the classroom. And I was all, it actually helped elevate my game um, on the field as well. Cause I became a, a better student of the game because I learned what the core principles were um, in order to um, learn a lesson or um, improve my game from that standpoint. So ODU has been huge. Um, I still go back nowadays and, uh, all the football games, football teams doing incredible, and uh, the baseball program has shot up. Um, they went from conference, um, the CAA, Colonial Athletic Association, to Conference USA, and they're continually evolving and moving up. Um, the reason I went to ODU, and I had offers from other schools in Virginia and outside um, in Florida, but I wanted to play from, from day one. Um, I didn't want to sit on the bench for two years and you know, learn from the older guys and then try to apply it later on in life. I think that's one of the things that um, set me up for success in the long term because I was able to actually exercise the muscle of playing, failing, and then learning from those failures to become a better player. Obviously, the educational side was huge. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you know, we are a accumulation of our experiences. And at this point in my life, um, you know, a couple three or so decades in, um, you know, that was a huge stepping stone uh, for me to be able to get to the top of the staircase as I look at, as I, you know, build Valor, build the team and, and help as many folks as we can. What was your, what was, what did you major in at ODU? So I started out as a uh, sports management. So basically every athlete, they're like, you're, you're doing sports management. Um, and <laughs> So I went to the coach uh, late, late in my freshman year and said, I'm going to go major in business. Like I, I, you know, I've always kind of been fascinated with these business folks, you know, the Steve Jobs and all the books we read. And um, I'm going to do that. And he, you know, they basically said they, they kind of went silent for a minute and they were like, you know, I'm looking at your grades right here in sports management. Um, it doesn't look like you're giving much effort and <laughs> There's no way you're going to do business. You're not going to have any time. Uh, you're going to be studying all the time. You're not going to have any time for the field. You know, we highly recommend you not do that. And I said, huh, is it, this is either going to, going to de deter me from doing it, or it's going to give me that much more fuel to actually do it. It ended up being the latter. Um, and I, you know, I took that into every, every time I failed a test, it says, I, I said, you know, somebody told me I couldn't do this. That's going to really help me to do better on the next test because it kind of gives you that punch in the gut that says when, I think when people doubt you, it, it gives you a little bit of empowerment. Um, you know, I saw that in, in my baseball journey, you know, I had coaches say, you know, you're great now, but your, your pitching motion is going to hurt you. You're not going to make it past high school. So every time I took a step, you're kind of proving them wrong. So I think we all kind of need critics to some extent, good or bad. You know, it could be your best friend that says, you know, comes up to you and says, Hey, you know, you say, um, or right way too much. And, you know, those types of honest critics elevate you to the next level, business, baseball, personal, 
And I think it's important uh, for growth at the end of the day. Is there a difference between an honest critic and a doubter, though? I feel like doubters are more like haters. And then an honest mm -hmm. critic is someone who's actually trying to help you. I don't know. Like, like as I had written down just about doubters earlier, and then you brought it back up. But, like, there are people who are just, like, just haters. And it's like, okay, like, you, you need to remove those individuals from a situation. But those individuals who are giving you honest feedback, honest criticism – that I feel like that is different than a doubter. I don't know. Like yeah. either of you can respond, but I mean, it's just a, it's a weird, it's, it's a weird conundrum. Yeah. I think, I mean, me, I think it's part of the, it's all how it's delivered. I mean, if it, uh, I think that's a, that's a big, you an big idiot thing. to do that. <laughs> that's, that's a hater. <laughs> I, you know, and it's, it's easy to identify problems but if they identify hey you do this and then if they follow that up with a solution then i don't see that as a hater then that would be yes uh, someone critiquing you and giving you a solution uh that, that's just my take i don't know about you craig yeah i think that's that's more of the honest you know feedback is they're able to say you're doing this here's something to consider i think the haters are more on the i want to tear you down to make myself feel better or I'm saying this because it's in my benefit and I get a, you know, endorphin rush or, you know, whatever hormone you want to say when you give someone bad advice and then walk away and say, man, that felt so good to tear that person down. I think that kind of separates the haters versus the honest feedback <laughs> because I never had a coach that said, you know, Hey, you're, you're doing terrible today. And then walked away. You know, they always had something productive to say following that. Exactly. Zach, did you happen to see uh, the tweet that I had just put out uh, recently? It, it was it was it was a Goggins quote, and it was like, "You'll never meet a hater doing better than you." And to me, man, that just yeah. it just was so profound, and it hit just right. I mean, it's just like, and the more I think about it, I'm like, "Wow, that that is so true." It, it, true in, in terms of receiving and delivering. I'm, so if I catch myself throwing shade at something, I'm like, why am I throwing shade? You know, I mean, you know, so I, I have to take a step back there as well. But when it comes to receiving that shade, I'm like, it's just easy to then discount them. Be like, hey, man, that that's a you problem. That's not a me problem. Good old David Goggins. What a yeah. what an interesting fella. I mean, that guy can do something like he I have a lot of respect for him. And it's um He's done a lot of things a lot of people have said you could never do. And it's um, he he has this thing that I don't think a lot of people talk about. Are you familiar with this guy, Greg? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I would assume yeah. so. So there's this. Uh, he, he said that he's not David Goggins. He's Goggins now. Right. right. He had to create Goggins, this this mythological creature to <laughs> to become the man that he is. There's a sales technique for people who hate doing um cold calls or calls in general where it's like you you can do the mirror or not like you can have like this little mirror next to your uh your telephone your screen or however you're doing the call but when you're going to do these calls you become this other creature you become this other person so that it's not it's not zach miller making these calls it's maxilla who's making <laughs> these calls and maxilla is an animal and he's going to take it down and so it's it's an interesting i don't think most people make that connection in the, in the same way but it's like okay like if if you doubt yourself so much maybe make up this other thing and become that other thing and that is that's the strongness of it and it, it's it's interesting because what goggins has done is pretty incredible even though he's the same person as david goggins so building the brain i yeah. i don't he doesn't need to build that brain anymore he's done just fine like it's yeah it's he's he's done very well for himself and so it's yeah uh, it's exciting to it's exciting to see that yeah so the reason greg that i was asking what your major is i was curious how you made that transition into into cybersecurity. can you can you walk us through that evolution yeah so i ended up um majoring in economics um, so I went into the business school, was trying to figure out, you know, did I want to do finance? Did I want to do economics? Everybody said that the finance majors, you know, went into working for banks and, you know, crunching numbers, looking at spreadsheets, things of that nature. I said, you know, I kind of thought at that time, you know, I'm already looking at spreadsheets every day with school and things of that nature. I'm taking a couple finance classes. 
I wanted to learn how all these pieces to the puzzle kind of came together in the economy. So I ended up um, going into economics. Obviously, the entrepreneurship school was something I could apply economics to. I could learn how businesses worked, how they created value for their market with products or services, and how that contributed to kind of overall kind of GDP or um, or regional um, GDP. So I kind of looked at it from a macro micro standpoint. There was obviously a lot of things going on in the Hampton Roads region. Um, I ended up doing a study with an organization called Harumpha, which is Hampton Roads Military and Federal Facilities Alliance. They make sure all the military base around here do not get taken out of the area and relocated to somewhere else, something they call BRAC, which is base re realignment, um, where the folks in, in Washington, D.C. say, you know, Norfolk Naval Base is not doing as productively of a mission as we set it out to do. We're going to rip that out and send it to another area that it may be better for. So I did an economic impact study and basically it was, you know, 70% of our or more of our economy was dependent on these bases being there. The families that it supported, the money they spent on local small businesses around the area. So it kind of opened my eyes to, you know, and there was a lot of initiatives at the time. Um, Zach at Hatch, you know, you, you were doing some incredible things to kind of elevate um, that goal for the region. Um, and, and, you know, you guys continue to beat that drum each day. Um, Tim, as you guys go out into the world and make, make it a better place um, in, in the ecosystem. But as I kind of thought about, you know, these different components of an economy and what made it productive, technology was a key piece of that. So as we started to um, develop these websites and apps from the company that I started out of the Sherm Entrepreneurial Center, we, we grew so fast from a, a people and infrastructure standpoint because we had databases everywhere for the different clients we had. You know, we didn't really think about managing it. We were just so excited about helping businesses and, and developing cool things that people appreciated. And eventually that kind of bit us in the butt where we, we, we were not focused on actually protecting um, the infrastructure at the end of the day because we were distracted by the shiny objects, the new app we were going to develop or the new sales pitch we were going to go give to this next business. Um, so we eventually ended up getting uh, getting a cyber attack to one of our client databases. Um, it, it kind of tarnished their reputation, obviously comes back on us. Um, we didn't know how to react to it. Uh, I went to local companies that were in cybersecurity. They were working for the government mainly. They didn't really have the capability to help us as a small business kind of get over the obstacle that we were facing and kind of what I what I say, put the fire out. Um, so that, you know, at that time I was in my first minor league season. So I was obviously a little bit distracted. Um, I was trying to find the resources to put that cyber attack out. We weren't able to keep that business open because of that. Uh, reputational damage, uh, more of the financial side. We, we had to spend a lot of money on trying to remediate what had happened. Um, and we didn't really have a lot of free cash flow just to dump you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands into this instant response endeavor, um, as we call it today. But um, it, it sent me on a you know light bulb moment that everybody is building something special in their own world, whether you're building it for somebody else or building it for yourself. Um, to, to grow something that you see a, a gap in the economy and it needs to be protected or for somebody to be there as a, you know, advisor, you know, coach, somebody that you can look to and ask the right questions to, Hey, we're building all these great things. What, what should we think about when it comes to protecting it? Um, I didn't see a lot of folks out there that were doing that. Um, I went out, uh, you know, that was my first minor league season. I played three seasons you know, while I was kind of studying for some certifications and things. And once I got done with baseball, I went on kind of a rampage to learn everything I could about cybersecurity, what it meant to folks, um, how it impacted the economy, going back to my economics days, um, you know, what the common business, you know, that small, medium and growing kind of thinks about cybersecurity. A lot of times it was, you know, we don't know much about it. So you have kind of the educational piece. Um, or sometimes it's, we've already been burned by it, or I know somebody that's been burned by it. So I want to take action, um, and prioritize action to make sure I'm not just dumping money down a drain. That's not actually having a protective impact on our business. So I, you know, worked for companies in DC, got to work with, you know, leaders that 
we're coming out of the FBI, um, Homeland Security, these folks who have been 35 plus years in the government, you know, making sure the government systems are protected. And, you know, I pride myself on asking some of the right questions to these folks. Um, a lot of times when I played baseball, the, the athlete didn't go to the coach a lot of times and ask them questions. The coach would have to come to them and try, try to give them continual advice. Um, so I, I noticed early on, and it was probably my upbringing kind of in the military background is, you know, you respect the folks who are you know leading you, but you have to be able to ask them questions on what they've learned up to the point to, you know, leave you a little bit better off, kind of extract their wisdom um, from that standpoint. So that led me on a rampage, went to DC, traveled around the world, went to Wall Street and worked for a couple companies in the cybersecurity um, arena, ended up coming back here once remote work kind of became um, the norm, wanted to be back in the area, um, bring some some of the money and tax dollars that I was making back here, um, think about you know, how I could contribute all the lessons I've learned, you know, back to the the, the world, the ecosystem that kind of, you know, um, helped me develop. And, uh, you know, a few years later, um, Valor kind of came about um, based off of just really um, heavy success at the past company we were at. Um, I met a lot of great folks who, you know, said, hey, it might be a interesting thing to build a company that is a little bit different based off of what we've learned. Um, and that's how Valor kind of came to be today. Um, it's, you know, you, you kind of, I think you learn more from failure. I think we talked about that a little bit because I had that cyber attack. It made me be able to resonate with folks at the board level, leading these organizations, building these products and services to say, I was once in a similar shoe that you're in. I was not focused on these activities. Here's some things to think about as you go forward to make sure you're not in the same position that I was once in because, you know, it's gut wrenching. It really, it's not, it's not a um, good feeling to go through something like that. So I want to try to lead people um, a little bit better off so they don't have to experience that. Are you, are you from the Norfolk, Virginia Beach area? Where where did you grow up? Yeah. Um, Grew up on the Little Creek base, um, moved off the base, uh, went, to, went to Independence Middle, um, Shelton Park Elementary over there, Princess Anne High so when School. You moved, when yeah. you moved away, was it easy to come back? I mean, because a lot of people that move away, mm. I feel like no matter where you live, right? So I grew up outside of D.C., Tim grew outside of Buffalo. Like, I, I just don't see either of us ever moving back to those areas. I could be wrong. But I just don't see that happening. Was it any? Because I mean, you live in New York. It seems like it's the greatest place in the world. You know, yada yada yada. But you come back here. Like, is that an easy decision? What went into that decision? Like, it, yeah, you have a business that's mostly online. So, does it matter where the business is? Because, I mean, you you hear about this from the economic development perspective. There's a lot of boomerangers, and even if you weren't, you know, outside of the area for very long, you hit that category of someone who grew up here moves out, comes back. Like, I just don't think there are a lot of boomerangers yet. It's a category yeah. that they talk about. Like what made you come back? Was it easy? Stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. A lot of my friends are still gone. Um, they haven't really decided to venture back. I think one of the, you know, forcing functions for me, a lot of people, when I went to DC said, find a way to make, you know, hundred grand and then, you know, try to try to find a job back home. That was kind of the mentality was get out of, get out of college, go to a big city, try to make a bunch of money and then, you know, go back to where you want to be. Um, for me, it was, I went to one of my bosses at the time and said, you know, I'd love to you know, go back home. In my mind, it was kind of the economic side going. If, if I'm making this money in DC, that's, that's at a premium because it's cost of living there. And I take that back to an area like Hampton roads, which is not as expensive as the DC to live. I'm going to be able to live a much better life. Um, from that standpoint. So that was, that was one of the forcing functions, but it, it was, I've always been kind of one of the people that, you know, wanted to continually support where my roots were. Um, and if I could, you know, do the same activity, not pay as much rent um, in a place like DC, and then, um, you know, be able to be closer to my family, you know, that was important to me. Um, and then to be able to bring the lessons back to, you know, the Strom Entrepreneurial Center that I learned in these big cities, um, you know, they're doing a lot of things great, you know, but, you know, I've always tried to, going back to the example at ODU, 
where I went there for baseball because they would give me the opportunity to play in year one. Um, it was kind of that same situation where I wanted to go back to a place that was growing and prospering um, and kind of, you know, learn the lessons from the big cities, but be able to bring them back and hopefully grow this area, not, not necessarily to that level, because I don't think we want to be a big city with all that traffic for one thing. Um, but I, I think that there's a lot of lessons learned that this area could benefit from. Um, so I think that's one of the things and, you know, the family side's key. My dad was still in the military at the time and, you know, he wasn't going anywhere. This was kind of his last duty station. And I wanted to be back, you know, closer to them and, um, you know, eventually build a family and things of that nature. I think it's a great area. The schools I went to were incredible. Um, it set me up for, you know, where I am today. And, you know, if I could take somebody who was in my shoes at one time in this area and try to infuse some lessons in them when it's, when it's the right time for them to learn that lesson, you know, that was always important to me um, from a personal standpoint. What, how's business going for you? Um, and, and where do you do most, like one, what is your, uh, what's your ideal client or customer mm -hmm. and, and where do most of those clients come from? Are they locally or do you expand outside of the region? Yeah. So um, just from a client profile standpoint, so um, we serve technology, defense and investment communities is what we call it because we look at cybersecurity as a supply chain obstacle. So if, you know, Tim, you and I are doing business, you know, we, we use a similar system and I have a bunch of security in place, but you have no protections in place. That leaves my organization open um, to potential cyber incidents, cyber attacks, things of that nature. Um, so we look at it as kind of a supply chain or an ecosystem that everybody has to be up to speed in order to kind of protect that business ecosystem. Um, so we kind of look at it as we serve those communities um, from that standpoint. I'd probably say 70% of them are outside the area. A lot of the folks around here are either in the defense space or highly regulated spaces. Um, and I think that's one of the things that big cities offer for younger companies, at least in the, on the service side of things where we sit is there's a lot of companies in big cities that do cybersecurity, but they sell a software tool as a part of their offering. Um, so we look at what we do and we're probably one of the, you know, one, one of 10 companies that still have this approach. I think a lot of companies in cybersecurity go out and say, we're going to be vendor agnostic. You know, we're going to be the advisor that gives you an honest, unbiased opinion on what you should be doing to protect your business. Um, and when you have a tool, most of the time that tool becomes your first recommendation. You know, we just did a cybersecurity assessment on your business, you know, buy our tool and it'll solve all your you know, problems and your uncertainties. Um, we've seen that not work time and time again. Um, one of the jobs I had in DC was a cyber incident investigator. So every year I investigated about a hundred companies that had a cyber attack, mostly through email. And I, I would sit with the boards of these companies and just kind of look at them and ask them some questions. And um, you just saw how detrimental and crippling it was to them because they thought it'll never be me that is in that you know headline, in that news story, um, in that seat to have to make hard decisions on you know where we spend our money to put this fire out. You know, PR notifying all the people that were impacted. You know, paying for credit monitoring. A lot of companies throw that in the mix. Um, it, it's detrimental from a financial standpoint. And, you know, I saw it in my own business. I saw other businesses going through it. Um, and, and we wanted to go out and make sure that people were protected on the on the front end. Um, it's, it's much lower cost when you do it up front than having to do it on the back end. Um, so I took a lot of those lessons learned and um, we use those today to kind of think about what those incidents looked like that we investigated and try to make sure people can, you know, either avoid or minimize the impact of those, you know, when they do happen, you know, they happen every day. A lot of times you don't see it in the news. Um, and it's, you know, it's something that impacts a lot of businesses, but you're not going to go out to the world and say, Hey, we were hit by a cyber attack. Like this is our new marketing slogan. Um, it's, it's not a good reputational hit. Um, so we, we commonly get, 
you know, called on by the lawyers or, or the company that just got um, hit by the cyber attack. And it's, it's very confidential. So it stays, you know, under the radar. Um, but we're, you know, we see statistics, I think it's 70% of businesses in a recent study said that they're not prepared for a cyber incident. We try to reduce those statistics um, by, you know, getting creative with the services that we offer, um, things of that nature, just recognizing this is relevant. And, you know, as AI and robots come into the equation and they start running, you know, a lot of the manufacturing operations, it just becomes more connected and more, more holes and gaps get, you know, put into what we think about as kind of the ecosystem or the network. What are maybe the top three things that a business could do to uh, not, maybe not eliminate, but, but prioritize cybersecurity in their business so that they with number four obviously being higher you but what, what are some things that they can do to to prepare for for a cyber attack because i could think of a couple in the last year garmin had a big malware mm-hmm. thing where where they got taken off i'm, I'm assuming that's a cyber attack uh and, and a couple others that um were big names that, that have had stuff that have happened but what are some what are some things that you know an up-and-coming business can can do to prepare for that yeah, I think the first question we always ask is, you know, what do you depend on to run your business? A lot of times it's email, um, you know, CRM systems. Um, it could be an app or website they're developing. Um, I think it just starts by understanding what's critical. Um, and when we when we start thinking about, you know, what's critical, you know, making sure you know, there is protections in place across those critical, you know, assets or systems that could be strong passwords. You know, we sell LastPass, which a lot of people, I think it was like 40% of businesses depend on LastPass across their organization to protect their passwords. Um, and it was kind of a, you know, a, a good sense of security. Um, but, you know, we always recommend, you know, password is just a configuration. So making sure things are, you have the right rules in place to make sure the right people are doing the right things in the right system. So I think you know, we, we look at it as <clears throat> make sure you're preparing beforehand. So that, that's kind of the configuration side of things where you can you know go to your IT company and say, we want to make sure our email, you know, nobody can email us from, you know, Russia. We never do business in Russia or we, we never do business in, you know, Dubai. We don't need somebody to be emailing from Dubai to, to ask the CEO to send us $100 million dollars. Um, so just making sure you have some rule sets in place. I think that's a, that's a key one. And it, it's pretty simple when you get the right people in the room. We don't necessarily do that, but there's a lot of companies out there that will help you with the configuration side. Um, you know, putting a plan in place, if something does happen, it typically takes an organization only like five to 10 hours to just sit down and say, if something takes down our website or takes down our email, how are we going to make sure that the business continues and that's you know commonly referred to as business continuity, things of that nature. But making sure you just have a plan in place if something does go does go wrong um, from that standpoint, I think is number two. And then you know I think number three, it, it's kind of a toughie because it depends on how the business does business. Um, so it could be you know some businesses kind of stay away from technology. So you know it could be lock your doors. You know make sure people don't leave you know their phones in their car. So it's it's kind of the converged model that we operate on. We don't we we don't really sit all on the network side. We think about how to protect the business and people and and assets from a physical perspective are still very relevant in that equation. Um, so a lot of times it's you know make sure your you know power generator has a backup. Make sure you know the HR person's computer um, is backed up so that if somebody gets into it, you can get that data back and not have to pay. Um, a ransom for somebody who just says, we know your HR person is the only person that has a, a computer. Um, they are the crown jewels um, for us to be able to take what your company is doing, even if it's you know payroll processing, things of that nature. And we want to make sure that that HR person's computer is protected and it's backed up so that if something does happen, we can get, get back um, what we lost. And then you know, from, from that standpoint, we, we kind of think about one size doesn't fit all in our world. Um, so it really kind of starts with a collaborative conversation on what they depend on. Um, but those are a few things every business could do. 
um, from that standpoint to kind of just get the ball rolling. You know, our biggest thing is how do we help more businesses just take the first step um, as opposed to making it extremely complex where it's, hey, here's 10 things you have to do. And they're just looking at it like cha-ching, cha-ching. They're just looking at dollar signs flowing out of their pocket yeah, to do something that they don't see business value in. But if we can say, take this first step, we'll show you the business value in it. And then we can take the second step. Then we can take the third step. It's a lot more digestible for a, a business person to understand. At the end of the day, they're the ones signing the checks. I don't know about you guys, but um, you know, most of the time, the technical folks are not the ones signing the checks and spending the money um, and you know, steering the strategy of the business. Yeah, one of the things that I think that is amazing is the uh, number of email addresses that are out there on on company websites. And uh, so, like, one of the things that I've that that I have done is I have a, a unique email address uh, on our website. And anytime I get an email to that particular email address, I immediately know it's because I scraped it from the site itself. So I know that it's just, it's not a unique person like, Oh, Hey, I just met you. Uh, I'd like to get on a call and see how we can partner or something like that. But, you know, so I just have a one, one, one publicly facing, uh, email address. So like, as soon as I know that it comes in, it's just like bogus delete and I move on. What, what is that? Is that a Zach, Zach hack? Good. I like that. What, what is the, what's the first word? Uh, it's just a, it, well, it looks like it would be an email to me. So, mm -hmm. uh, it, but it's just, a, it's just not the right configuration um, of the email. What web scraping is what they call it. Basically that's, yeah. That's the first step in any you know, attacker, competitor analysis. When they go out and say, I wanna find a business that's weak, they just do kind of a massive web scrape, take these people, execute, you know, try to execute a couple of different angles on them. And you know, the people that are not protected, they're the ones that kind of get taken advantage of um, from that standpoint. So it's, it's kind of interesting you mentioned that. Yeah. So when email comes in, you click the link and then you're screwed. I mean, that's basically. Yeah. And then your computer blows up. Well, you know, the thing that, uh, so, so I'll ask, a, take this opportunity to ask a professional question, but it will help out the uh, people that are listening to this as well. Yeah. So you get a spam, what if you get some, obviously it's spam. I feel like if I click the unsubscribe, that's just verifying that it's a valid email address. Is it best of, uh, am I just thinking that? Is that reality or is it just best to block that sender from your, uh, to blacklist that email address? Mm. Yeah, you can definitely blacklist it, but they'll find another email to email you from a lot of the times. So we look at kind of best practice when it comes to training folks is look at who the sender is. Make sure you click on the name because right. you'll see like Amazon support and then Don't it'll be like, are you? Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. And then it'll be like Amazon at, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it's just like a number of characters. So it, do it doesn't even look remotely legit. So that's the first step in recognizing email. And then all, most of the time, I think it's 95% of the time, they're going to put a link in there. It may not be malicious, but they want to see if you click on it. It could be like a bit.ly link and they can track if you click on it. And then the next email they send you, it's going to be even more appealing for you to click on the link. And then that's where they'll put, you know, a virus or, you know, some type of key logger where they can actually see what you're typing now, or they, they try to get the data that's in your email box, for example, to try to, see how you're sending payments and things of that nature. Um, so is it's kind of interesting. Is this non-email as well? So just like the text messages and things like that? I mean, it, or are we in that world at this point? I mean, just don't click anything from anyone that you don't know? Or are phones uh, at this point, 2023 safe? I think phones, I think I get more text messages that are marketing related. I don't know about you guys. Oh, um, God, I'm you just, you know, you can't be too paranoid. We try not to make people too paranoid, but um, and, you know, fear monger, things of that nature. But there's some ways, you know, that companies, you can, you can educate people to just, you know, copy the link, put it into a URL scanner, you know, website or app, they have them all over the place. And it'll tell you, we have found this to be malicious. You know, mm. Don't, don't click on it. So they'll tell you pretty rapidly if you just take that extra step. But a lot of times we are, the headline looks awesome. The email name looks legit. I'm going to click on it. And then, you know, in the background, something's running where you know, now they now they can listen to all your phone calls and, and take down all your texts to 
learn more about you. A lot of times they just want to learn more about you so that they can find the important things that you're doing. You're logging into your bank account. You're you know, send, spending $13.99 on Amazon. Let's each month make sure we're going to do an extra transaction for $13.99 that doesn't that looks legit. Mm. But you know, over the over time, that money adds up. And these companies, these these criminals are running huge organizations. They have call centers. Um, they have folks, you know, who are, you know, dialing you all day and saying, you know, hey, I, do you need a car warranty? <laughs> and uh, and the and it, the older people, you know, grandparents, things of that nature. I've had them, you know, folks call me all the time. We we present at the Rotary Club, and they get called all the time, on and they, and they make them so paranoid. You know, this is your bank. Yeah. Uh, we just saw a hundred thousand dollar wire come out. We need your you know, social and your and your your bank account number in order to get in. Um, we're actually going to send you a link for you to log in and verify. And you're logging in and giving them your bank account access. So now they have access to anything. They can send themselves money. And that's typically how it goes down. And and you can't usually get that money back unless you act in a certain period of time. I think it's 24 hours. So you have to call the bank, the real bank, and say, I just got, you have to recognize it for one within 24 hours. Typically, you don't recognize it for at least a day. And then you have to call your bank and say, I just got scammed. I need you to stop that payment immediately. The bank either says you're SOL or, you know, we're able to get that money back for you. Um, but, you know, they're still in your account. They know you're an easy target and they're going to come back because they know that you're, mm. you're susceptible to, to doing what they want you to do. So The, the prince in Africa has really... <laughs> the the prince in Africa has really become sophisticated, yeah. and um, I would just like to take this moment to congratulate them on 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 the maturity level that they have done at this point. They have really screwed over a lot of people. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's that's, that's you know it always happens to Granny, but you know it's it's mm -hmm. oh man, just to hear it again, like people give yeah. them so much information. You're like, mm -hmm. oh, speaking of, speaking of which, Greg, do you have a TikTok account? What's your take on TikTok? No, no TikTok account here. I've, I've been, uh, our marketing department keeps saying we need to make TikTok videos because there's nobody talking about cybersecurity on there, but um, we could probably go down that rabbit hole on the, um, where that data is going. You guys may have seen it out there. And oh yeah. If, if you're taking pictures everywhere you go, um, all of that, you know, your background, all the things, you know, what time you post, you, know, you say, I'm going on this great vacation to the Bahamas on January 1st through um, you know, January 10th, and then they search your name online. What's your address? It's a perfect time to go to your house and, you know, try to ransack it if they're in your area. Um, so they, you know, other, other countries and, you know, intelligence organizations in the countries that don't want us to, don't want to see us do well. Um, they use all that information against us. Um, well, and, and even the scarier thing for me is, um, having access to your clipboard, so anytime you you copy your uh, your password because you forget it, yeah, whatever you copied last on your iPhone, they have access to that. Uh, yeah, that's 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 really scary stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got to operate like you're always being watched. I guess you could say, but it's hard it's hard to do it when you're you know you're building a business that could be extremely right. unique. You're building an application that's nobody else does because you found yeah. a gap. And didn't yeah. they shut down Be Real? I think, that I think was, so. Yeah. 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 I mean, mm -hmm. that was like a, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that app, Zach, but it was like, uh, like the number one app on the app store for a while. I think Apple ended up shutting it down, man, because like they, there was uh, several backdoors that were discovered. And, uh, so they had to pull it from the app store and lock that thing down. But, um, Jeez. yeah, scary stuff. This entire time, I just thought I had to worry about the wet and sticky bandits. And I guess there's a lot, <laughs> a lot worse people out there than, than uh well and uh, in that case yeah, i mean be real didn't have any you know that that to me i would be willing to i mean it was just innocent stuff like man so to that point you're building an app you need to make sure that, that stuff is locked down from from day one because i have to talk about a pr nightmare my goodness yeah we actually talked back to the odu um connection is we actually talked to one of their professors we do a, a friday live stream and we talked to a professor over there that's in sociology and he studies a lot of you know, physical crime and it's much easier for people to commit a crime when they can't see the person. And he basically proved it you know, mentally 
when you look at a person, say you're walking up to somebody and you're like, I'm going to go tackle this person and, you know, beat them up or, you know, try to steal their, this lady's purse. Um, you know, as humans, we kind of get a, a we second guess doing it. Um, but when it comes to the cyber standpoint, it's like, you know, you don't even see the person. All you see is numbers and, you know, data. Um, so it's, it's becoming a threat vector, um, a mode of attack that is easier for people to commit. Um, which is scary when somebody actually wants to do wrong um, by somebody else. So at the end of the day, we try to you know educate folks. It all starts with education and inform them on what we're seeing in the environment. And you know they decide to either take action or or not take action. I think that's that's something we all decide when we put our feet on the ground in the morning. Um, you know, where do we dedicate our time? And uh, you know we try to give them the information they need to be able to take informed action and kind of make the complexities of it, um, you know, try to eliminate them as much as possible because, you know, we're, business is already sophisticated and, you know, I, I don't know, you know, what business the listener may be in, but what they're doing is, is something unique and, you know, you found a gap and, you know, maybe spend a little bit of time on thinking about protecting it and putting some small things in place and, a lot of times the criminal organizations looks, look for the, what we call the low hanging fruit, which is just the person who hasn't even thought about it and they try to take advantage of that person. So if you have just a little bit in place, they're going to bump into a wall and they're going to be redirected to the next person. So they're not going to kind of, you're not going to have that negative impact take place. So we always try to elevate the person to that next, next level. Um, and they'll be, they'll be kind of walked around. That makes sense. If you're the big guy walking down the street, you know, and you're with a you know, somebody with a purse, a lot of times they may avoid you, but they'll go to that next person who's walking by themselves and they'll take advantage of them. So uh, we try mm. to make sure they're, they're, they're guarded from that standpoint. What, what's something we haven't talked about today that you want to talk about? No, I think the, you know, we're all mental athletes at the end of the day. I think that's something that fascinates me in business. Uh, we talked a little bit about Goggins. I think he, he's a representation of that. Um, I think, you know, I think you guys have a unique view into all the great things going on um, in the Hampton Roads region. Uh, maybe a little bit on that, kind of what you guys are looking forward to in 2023 when it comes to how we continually develop, um, you know, as an area, as an organization, as a um, community, um, as folks who want to see this area do well. Kind of some of the things you guys are looking forward to, you know, going into this year, I'd be interested in diving that, down that avenue. Yeah, I mean, for me, for me, man, it is all about continuous improvement, uh, and and that's only not only for self, uh, for business, but as a region. Um, the, like the 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 drum that I continue to beat is it um, is just trying to paint the picture in the sense of if we all focus on growing the pie, then everyone's individual slice is going to naturally become bigger. Um, and so let's stop trying to take away from someone else's slice of the pie. If we all focus on making that pie bigger then we all win. So uh, that, that's, that's really one of the big things that we just got to continue to try to, I mean, it's, it's kind of like uh, baseball, you know, I mean, four singles is still a run and then you got the bases loaded still. So, uh, you know, it doesn't, you know, we don't have to try to steal all the home runs and everything, you know, that's just base hits, base hits, base hits. And eventually it's all going to add up. So, uh, yeah, that, that, that's well, really what I'm focused on. And to piggyback off that, there's more than day one and the last day of a business, right? So don't think about, oh, I just started. Oh, I'm out of business for whatever reason, you know, positive or negative. Tell that story a lot. And I think those are mm -hmm. those are where the real stories are. And that's where the things in a business are not celebrated. And I think there's a huge opportunity there. So to continue to to see those stories being presented, whether they're in story form or not, uh, I think is critical. And, and and I think most people talk about, oh, I started my business. Oh, I closed my business. I sold my business. Well, tell me the story in between. There, there's a lot of good stuff there. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I think we all relate and connect to stories. I think you guys are both incredible storytellers. You know, what do you, what do you think is the best medium for those stories to be communicated um, to folks, I guess, early on. I mean, I guess it's the, the start Where, wherever of, those people want to consume it. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. I mean, that, that's the answer, right? I mean, I don't, I, it, wherever your audience wants to be, right? If you would have told me that the, the whole DVD thing and Netflix was, was going to become this huge thing and that it, it, it would turn into people watching movies out of their house instead of going to the movie theater, I think people would have told you you're stupid. You, you, you do it where people are, are willing to, to, to be the audience. Yeah. I, I'm always amazed. Um, I, I like, I, uh, I'm always telling people, Hey, any press releases, any news, anything to celebrate, no matter how big or small, let's celebrate you start wheel as a platform and, and let's celebrate that. I'm, I'm always amazed at a uh, piece that, that like either star wheels, not big enough, you know, that they want to wait for the pilot media to put that, you know, they want to, to push it there first. And it's just like, you know, I mean, we're touching tens of thousands of people every single month. We, uh, and this is a curated audience. These are people that are going to support you. These are people that are investors that are going to be potential customers, people that are going to be potential mentors, partners, whatever the case is. You know, And so like when I wouldn't, so I appreciate you coming on this show because some people are just like, you know, they're still in the startup phase, but they're, they're too big for, yeah, start wheel. It's like, hey man, we're the we're the champions for you from the very beginning, and um, you know, leverage leverage what you have. And uh, so that's a if you want to get under my skin, it's like, oh, well, well, don't don't push this press release out until Pilot Media sends it out first. It's like, ah, oh, okay. Or someone asked me to uh, to to share something on Start Wheel, and then I'll see that they share it on social media later, but they don't share it on the Start Wheel. They they don't. I'm good enough to help them promote what they have, but they won't give, throw me a bone. It's like, Hey man, if you're going to promote what you're doing, you know, throw some web traffic our way, but no, they're going to, you know, they're going to promote the people that don't care about them. They're just putting putting it out there. So it's just all about well, traditional media is exactly what I just said. Yeah. Day one, last day media, right. Yeah. Or something really bad, right. Not yeah. something in between telling that story and, yeah. It's, I mean, because I can, I mean, we are so dedicated to the success of startups in this area. I mean, I've generally, unless you catch me out of the office, you push something, you want us to share something, help celebrate you. We, between Andrew and I, uh, we have that posted and that's out in the world within, within a few minutes. I mean, it's just, that's just, that's what we're there for. And uh, yeah, man, I just want people to continue to leverage what we have and, and we're not going to, I'm not going to stop. Yeah, just going back full circle, we started talking about it. I, I do this every day, just like from a athletic workout standpoint. You know, it's like I will outlast you, I will outwork you, and uh, you'll give up before I do, man. Guaranteed. Love it. Yeah, we need we need more. We need Kick more. Them that them down. Kick them while they're down. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I think I think we're we're all starting. You know, each day when we wake up, right? But you know, what we've done in the past and what we're looking forward to in the future. And the wheel never stops, right? You never get, you never get too big to, to kind of take a step back and, and restart mentally um, to make yourself better off to be able to survive what you're going to encounter in the future. So yeah, love it. Absolutely. The, the wheel, the wheel concept. Yeah. Greg, appreciate your time. This was awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Ed. Yeah, appreciate, appreciate you guys having me.